This is the Tom Bigby Tales. I'm your host, Shannon Evans. I write about a small town named Columbus in northeast Mississippi along the Tom Bigby River. And sometimes I branch out into the county or into the surrounding counties. Today's episode is Klondike Gold Rush Broker. Peter Stewart Hairston was born near Crawford, Mississippi, on his family's plantation in 1863. His father, Peter Constantine Hairston, was a farmer and physician. Young Peter was not keen on being a farmer, so he left for Canada in 1896 for the Klondike Gold Rush, where he worked as a gold broker. He then went on to the Cobalt Silver Rush in Ontario, Canada in 1903. By 1905, he was living near Toronto in Oakville, Ontario, was 53 years old, and he was best known and most respected mining broker in Toronto and was also a member of the Toronto Stock Exchange and a respected board member of the American Club in Ontario. The American Club opened in 1913 when hundreds of American citizens living in Toronto bought the old Union Bank building for $200,000. The club quickly became the meeting place for Americans living and traveling in Toronto. His claim to fame, its claim to fame, was that President Taft once visited the club. In 1913, tensions were heating up in Europe as well as within the country amongst the immigration population, and military organizations were expanding like the American Foreign Legion. The Legion met regularly at the American Club. Most American businessmen who lived in rural areas outside Toronto often stayed the night at their club in order to catch early trains or host early morning meetings in Toronto. The night of February 15 was such a night for Peter Hairston, who was to catch an early train in the morning to Buffalo, New York for business. On the early morning of February 16th, around 2 a.m., <clears throat> a fire alarm rang into the nearby firehouse, but there was no response. The second alarm came in about 15 to 20 minutes later from the Ontario Club night porter directly across the street. The first explosion of the building was heard after the Ontario porter had raised the alarm. The fire chief heard it heard the explosion on the way to the fire. Two more explosions occurred while the firemen were actively fighting the fire. They were saved from falling through the floors of the up of the upper part of the building due to the explosions as they had been forced back down the stairs by the dense black smoke prior to the explosion. The building had no fire escapes, only ropes in each room long enough to reach the ground. The explosions threw the occupants on the floor and so and was so forceful that they that it knocked plaster off the walls of adjoining buildings. By 2:30 in the morning, two upper floors were engulfed in flames. The first explosion blew out part of a wall causing a building cornice to fall, striking night watchman Edward Johnston in the head, causing what would be a mortal skull fracture. Captain Asa Menard, in a room on the far side of the explosion, escaped his smoke-filled room and burning subfloor by climbing out a window using the escape rope that was in his room. 
He was treated for smoke inhalations and second-degree burns as a result of his experience. A Mr. Bussey was in the room next to Peter Hairston, or Hostin, depending on how you pronounce it, and he, too, escaped out his window in a mixture of trousers and pajamas. He, too, suffered from smoke inhalation and some burns, some of which were caused by the rope that he used for his escape. Hairston's room was closest to the fire's source, the walls that were adjoining to his room. He was found crouched at his window, partially dressed, a grip with important papers in his hand, the rope for his room partially out the window. He had suffocated from the dense smoke. His wife was, was immediately notified that morning via a phone call. She began arrangements immediately for retrieving his body and notifying his family in Mississippi while the city began investigating the suspicious fire. There were two schools of thought on that on those suspicions. One, the local recent European immigrant community was not happy with all the Americans now coming to Toronto and replacing them at, at certain jobs. The second suspicion was that management and owners might have torched the building for the insurance dollars. The local constabulary investigators focused their efforts on a young man recently, as in four days prior, hired as a wine clerk who was named Ernest Ziegler. Ziegler claimed to be a native Canadian from Berlin, Ontario, who had only been in Toronto for two weeks. He said he left the club at 12.15 on the day of the fire. Normally, he was off work at 8 p.m. On this particular day, he stayed to answer the phones. Ziegler was 19 years old, and his father was a fireman in Berlin. He had previously worked in Rochester for the Buffalo Forge Company in munitions manufacture. However, the young Ziegler did not like working night shift, so he had left to work for a butcher driving a wagon. On the night of the fire, Ziegler told investigators he was in the billiard room where Hairston and another man were playing. He then showed Hairston to his room after the game and before leaving work for the night. Investigators found his story plagued with inconsistencies. The investigation then peered into the club's financials and found some compelling evidence that made them dig deeper. According to previous manager, Captain Asa Menard, the club was struggling, but that was nothing new. At the time of the fire, taxes were due and mortgage interest was also due and membership was down. The new manager, F.L. Riggs, told police the club was in the process of financial reorganization just before he had been hired, thus replacing Menard, who was leaving for another position. Both managers stated the club had been in far worse financial shape before, and they did not believe the fire was related. Neither had anything to gain financially from the fire. The fire investigator conducted a parallel investigation to the constabulary. The city architect examined the scene of the fire and determined the fire started between the ceiling of the lounge room and the floor above, which was the room next to Hairston's room. According to the American Club's night engineer, Thomas Banks, the event was not predicated by a roaring sound typical of a fire until after the first explosion. No flames were seen until after that same explosion. This was confirmed by the Ontario Night Porter. On the 23rd of February, the American Club's board 
announced they would rebuild on the site. On the 24th, the board then announced no evidence was there to support the cause of the fire as an act of an enemy, thus removing <clears throat> all suspicion of Ziegler. On the 26th of 1916, the investigation report states the investigators found defective wiring that was overfused and overloaded and the cause of the fire. But what became of Peter Stewart Hoston's remains? His wife accompanied her husband's body on the train south. His remains arrived on the Mobile and Ohio at the Columbus, Mississippi Depot on the 19th of February of 1916 and were taken immediately for internment at Friendship Cemetery. Reverend R.B. Eggleston, the pastor at First Presbyterian, officiated. Present were his three sisters, Mrs. E.E. E. Moore, Mrs. W.S. Turner, and Mrs. J.E. Cox, as well as his four brothers, George, John, Harden, and J.T.W. Hoston. Peter Stewart Hoston is buried in the Maria and Gray Chandler family plot just north of the Monroe Crypt in Friendship Cemetery. I want to thank you for coming on my little tour and stories from Columbus, Mississippi, and its people and its places. If you'd like to learn more about the history of Columbus, I'd love for, to invite you to join the Historic Home Tours Facebook page and to learn more about the stories and to listen to previous episodes, I invite you to like, follow, and subscribe to the Tom Bigby Tales. Thank you, and until next time.